Kristen Marchand, and this is the Apiango Line, a fortnightly podcast dedicated to preserving and promoting the unique heritage and local culture of the Upper Madawaska and Apiango River Valleys. And though this week it may feel like a spanking brand new year with possibly hopeful prospects in the not-too-distant future, we're here today to tell you a fascinating story that aims to roll back the decades, if not the centuries. It's a story about a much earlier time, when one of this area's great foundational characters first arrived in Barry's Bay, at about the same time as that old Barry's Bay train station was first being built, in 1894. His birth name was John O'Mernick, though he also answered to John O'Manick, spelled two distinctly different ways, and both for very good reasons. He was barely 20 years old when he first laid eyes on our little town, but that first trip into Barry's Bay had taken him, at the very least, 10 years to accomplish. Somehow, when he was not quite 10 years old, he was separated from his mother while passing through England on their way to Canada after abandoning their home in Prussia, now modern-day Poland. Though his mother eventually made it to Renfrew County without him, young John somehow ended up in western New York State, where he had to work for his room and board on a dairy farm while quickly learning to speak one of the many indigenous languages of the Iroquois Confederacy. Ten-year-old John would then spend the next ten years trying to locate his mother and her new home somewhere in Canada. But once he did, he would spend nearly 70 years making more than just a name for himself in and around Barry's Bay, his new hometown. He would contribute mightily to not only Barry's Bay's early growth and development, but especially during the Depression, to its very survival. Recently, John O'Mernick's granddaughter, Anne O'Manick Bruder, sat down with Sean Conway, the host of The Local, for one of those great conversations that keep getting more and more interesting with each passing minute. Who knew that John O'Manick once hosted the entire Von Trapp family of The Sound of Music fame, and Anne has the home movies to prove it. So sit back for the next hour or so and enjoy some of that unique heritage and local culture that we keep talking about. Over to you, Sean. Well, I'm delighted uh, today to welcome an old friend and our special guest for today's podcast, Anne Omanic Bruder. So good to see you on a brilliant, sunny winter day. And welcome to the program. Thank you, Sean. We're doing this in Barry's Bay in uh, the late uh, part of uh, 2021. And I dare say that if a person were to walk around this town, it would be rare to hear the name Omanic spoken today. But I know from growing up here, and I was born in Barry's Bay 70 years ago, uh, one of the names that would be heard at every corner was the name Omanic, sometimes pronounced Omernic. So um, I want to talk to you about, uh, about, first of all, you, your, uh, your personal uh, history, not just as uh, somebody who was... Uh, born into the uh, Omanic line, but also who is related very closely to the Slominski family. Uh, more about uh, both those families in a moment. But one of the stories I've heard you talk about, Anne, is, is one of my favorites. You once said in my presence that you were one of the few people that you knew who were uh, born and baptized uh, on the very same day in the village of Barry's Bay. Do you mind telling our audience that story and how it came to be? Well, I don't remember it. But I was only hours old, born at 8 o'clock on a uh, Sunday morning. And my godparents were Father Ted Coolis with the K. 
And um, my godmother was my Aunt Mary Sobolski. And they took me out of the house, I guess, when no one was looking. Maybe they were looking. But they took me over to St. Hedwig's Church, baptized me, and brought me back. Now, what was the house in which you were born? Well, I don't know. Um, it was here in Barry's Bay. I'm assuming it was your parents' home, which would be well-known to old-timers as the Omanic House, which is uh, on the east side of Bay Street, just before it falls down towards the lake. Uh, right. Um, yeah, and it was my dad's dad's, so it was John Omanic's home originally, and then my mom and dad lived there for, I don't know how long, I was six when I left Barry's Bay. So it would have been a short walk for your parents uh, over to St. Hedwig's Church, because for Barry's Bay types like myself, uh, you could walk that, uh, you know, Correct. notwithstanding the fact that your mother had just delivered you, but that wouldn't be a very distant walk, although I'm no. sure she probably might have preferred to have done it on another day. But, yes, because uh, I was born in March. Yes, it was. Uh, it would have been a, a, probably a cold spring day. So what are then your memories, um, your earliest memories of, of Barry's Bay and and the environment, including your, your immediate family? Well, I pretty well remember the house we lived in, and uh, I had a lot of siblings, uh, two older sisters. Then there's a sister after me, a brother, and two more sisters, because there were six girls and one boy. But the uh, two youngest girls were born in Pembroke, the rest of us born in Barry's Bay. And tell us a little bit about your father and your mother, uh, Joseph and Viola Omanic. Well, Joseph, I thought the world of my dad, and he was an amazing man. Uh, his dad, John, had two children uh, from the first marriage. Uh, my dad, Joseph, was born in 1904, and Mary, his sister, was born in 1907, I believe. Um, and um, my dad and his sister um, and their mom, she died, I think, in her early 40s. They did everything together. They, um, I think when they were older, my Aunt Mary worked in the office uh, because of my grandfather and then my father ran a sawmill, a lumber mill. And um, they worked with their dad till uh, my dad got married first and then his sister married later on. Now your father's sister, Mary, Mary Omanik Sobolski, was married to Flying Frank Sobolski. Correct. Mm -hmm. And... They built a house right across Queen Street from your parents' house. Yes, and Frank was a big, big man, and my Aunt Mary, a teeny tiny little lady, probably four foot something. And, and one of their children, of course, uh, was Norbert, Father yes. Norbert Sobolski. Mm -hmm. And your mother's family were a very well-known family uh, in the area at that time, the time your parents were married, the Slominskis from Wilno. Yes, although uh, her parents ran the uh, the um, Ignatius and, let's see, I think her name was Rose, Rosilia uh, Slominski ran the Wilno Tavern, the Wilno Hotel, but they moved uh, out west, I think around 1910. They sold the hotel and moved out there to make their fortune. I think, first of all, they went to Edmonton, but... Uh, they didn't make a fortune out there. But they, um, my mother had, uh, I believe there was 13 in the family. Mother was the second youngest. She had a brother younger. Um, so a lot of her family were bor born either in the Wilna Hotel, 
where my mother was born, or some of the older ones uh, in uh, Golden Lake. There was a hotel that my grandfather Ignatius had there. Uh, like I said, in 1910, they moved west. Uh, but my mother's brother, uh, Father Anthony Slominski, because he did become a priest, stayed behind, and his first parish was St. Hedwig's. And um, although he was a priest a very short time, I think he was 31 or 32 when he died, my mother, with her mother, came by train from out west to Barry's Bay for the funeral. And when they arrived here, uh, my grandfather, John O'Manick, uh, wanted them to stay in his house. I don't know if they didn't have hotels here at the time or not. And um, so... They stayed there, and of course, my dad uh, was there, and so was my Aunt Mary. And uh, after that, my mom and dad wrote letters for five years. I don't know if they saw each other in those five years, but later on, in 1932, in July, my dad bought a brand new um, Ford. I don't know what you call them. And he and Monsignor, he wasn't Monsignor Bonanski at the time. They drove out west. My dad married my mom and then brought her back to Barry's Bay. So let's just pause for a moment and reflect on what you've just said. In 1932, the summer of 1932, probably one of the worst of times in the dreadful 1930s, the Depression, your besotted father and his friend, Father Peter Bernaski, in a probably a Model T Ford, yes. drove from Barry's Bay to Saskatchewan? Yes. To Lucky Lake, I believe. Lucky in... Lake, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Now talk about um, love being um, a particularly magnetic pull. I mean, that yes. would not have been... Uh, any idea how they got there? Did they travel through the United States? Or I mean, it would just have been... No, unbe- I don't. But my Aunt Mary said that people in Barry's Bay said there was lots of nice young girls in Barry's Bay. Why did my dad have to oh, wow. go out west to, to find a bride? But it's, you know... My mom was born in Wilno, so they were kind of... And my dad was born in Barry's Bay, so... But they had to... Your mother had to go via Lucky Lake, Saskatchewan for the romance to uh, be properly set up, as it were. That's a great story. That sounds like the basis for a novel. Just, uh, if nothing else, the trip in 1932. That's right. And my mother used to say how her mom bartered eggs milk from their cow whatever to get things for the wedding because of course the wedding was on the farm in Lucky Lake and uh, they had to put on a dinner after the wedding so um, I even have I think some black and white pictures somewhere on 16 millimeter camera or movie camera to uh, uh, of the wedding but the pictures aren't good at all. Now did I understand you to say that you have memories of uh your uncle, Father Slominski? No, because... Um, he had died before he... He, had di- he died in... Um, <laughs> I'd have to go to the cemetery and look. I don't know if it was 1927. I was born in 38. So uh, it's just my mom talked about him a lot. And we always visited graveyards when we were kids. And I still visit the graveyard. Well, growing up here, uh, I remember hearing many people speak very fondly of uh, Father Slominski, who's early death was a huge shock to the community. He was yes. a beloved pastor and uh, and remembered as such by by whole ser- a whole community. Yeah. Do you have any memory at all of the uh, of the the hotel uh, in uh, your early years? That is the 
what would have been probably called the it was called the Exchange Hotel. I th yes, it was. No, I don't. Uh, we were older. I think we were teenagers when Mum talked a lot about right. it. Now let's go back to your very early years in Barry's Bay. You were born in 1938. The war is, you know, upon us within the Second World War when mm -hmm. you're about 18 months old. Um, and uh, again, you wouldn't maybe remember much of that, but you certainly, by the time you were moving to Pembroke, you would know that there was a war on. What other memories besides the war, the early part of the, well, the, the, the war period. Uh, you were living in a place that had a beautiful lake right by your doorstep, uh, the, your school. Did you do any of your education here in Barry's Bay? Uh, part of grade one at the school because um, I remember the girls had to go in one door and the boys the other side of the school when you lined up. There's and an old story, of course, about, uh, and uh, I certainly remember when what is today, um, Bay Street was the Boy Street, and what is today Dunn Street uh, was the Girl Street, and it was a serious offense if a boy were found on the Girl Street and mm -hmm. vice versa. Do you remember? Um, because knowing where you were living, you would have the sensible and shortest thing to do to get to school was to skip right down the Boy Street and be at the at the boys' entrance uh, right. in about three minutes. Uh, does any of that bring back a memory at all? No, I just remember that we lined up, you know, the girls on one side and the boys on the other. Did you have any sense uh, about the big summer trade in cottages and people who came to Barry's Bay to uh, enjoy the beautiful lake country and all the fishing and other recreational opportunities it afforded? Well, my dad had two cottages, uh, just down past the ash grove there. On the point? Yeah, uh, Yes. Well, he didn't own the cottage on the point, but then if you went around, he owned two. And I remember a man in uh, coming in an airplane with the pontoons. I think his name was Ben Mervyn. I don't know the connection, but I remember that plane coming in. That would have been pretty exciting for a it young was, girl to watch. It was. And in these old movies, there's uh, pictures of me in the round galvanized tub that, you know, with water in it and my, my bathing suit on. And also they used to, I loved to be in the boat. So they tied a long, long rope on the old wood rowboat and shove it out. And I'd paddled around in the lake. And then I remember going to Chippewa Lodge with my dad. And uh, on the way in, we'd stop to look for turtles on, on the road once you turned off the highway. I think there was, I don't know if there's a bridge there, or, but there was water. And uh, we looked for turtles before we went to, to Chippewa Lodge. Now, you've introduced a, a, a business that's very, very well known to people of my age. I'm 70 years of age. If you grew up in the post-war period, uh, certainly Chippewa Lodge was one of the most uh, uh, well-known uh, resorts uh, within miles of Barry's Bay. I understand that there's a family connection uh, between the Omanics and Chippewa Lodge. Do you want yes. to tell us about that? Yes, my grandpa John Omanic built Chippewa Lodge in 1938, the I year I was born. I thought you said he was in the lumber business. Well, he did a lot. I mean, come on. The first skating rink in Barry's Bay. Uh, my dad wired the first homes uh, for electricity in Barry's Bay. And my grandfather was just a go-getter, and so was my dad. Wow, so men of all trades. Uh, yes. So what do you remember about Chippewa Lodge? Deer. I remember there were deer 
behind fence. So I don't know why they had deer penned up, but um, there was probably planes that flew in the, you know, the small planes with the pontoons there too. And I remember a big, big lodge. When you knew it first in your memory, was it Chippewa Lodge or was it Thompson Lodge? It was Thompson Lodge. And who was this Thompson? Well, uh, my uh, dad's mom died in 1931. Like, I think she was in her early 40s. I'd have to look that up. And uh, my grandfather, John, remarried in 1933 to Muriel Thompson. So when he built the lodge in 38, it was called Thompson Lodge. I don't even know where it got the name Chippewa, but I knew it as Chippewa. Any idea why your grandfather, who obviously was quite an entrepreneur, uh, would have gone from the lumber business in which he'd been very actively engaged, uh, not just in Barry's Bay, but uh, in a number of other places in the area, why he would have uh, decided to, in the still in the Depression era, to build a big resort in uh, in in the Barry's Bay Cumbermere area. Nope, can't help you there. Do you remember going there as a child, just to a, to a meal or anything of that kind? Uh, well, visiting and seeing the deer, but other than that, uh, and the turtles on the way in, but other than that, new. So, I don't know if any of my sisters would remember because I have two older sisters. So let's, since you've, we've introduced your grandfather, and I know you don't have very many memories of your grandfather who died in 1962. But to the, to the extent you can remember John O'Manick, or as many of the old-timers here would have called him, John O'Mernick, mm-hmm. what do you remember about your father's father, uh, John, John O'Manick? A little man with a full head of hair, even as he got older, because I think he was about 89 when he died. And um, he had a... <clears throat> if you heard that, you knew Grandpa was around. <laughs> I don't know what the problem was. But, uh, no, he was a, a very loving man. And uh, uh, when he married Muriel Thompson, he, they moved to, um, well, I guess he met her in Ottawa. I don't know. And uh, they lived in Ottawa. So we would go every year on his birthday in August to visit him. Sometime it was at his cottage in Cars on the Rideau River. I don't know where Cars is, but I found out it's... Is that the a river in Ottawa, Rideau? Well, there's certainly a Rideau River that uh, Ottawa is essentially a community that was built at the confluence of the Ottawa and the Rideau Rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Rideau watershed carries southwesterly out into Carleton County and Carson's mm-hmm. out in okay. that zone. Okay, and that building is still there today because one of my Uncle John, like uh, John and Grandpa John and Muriel Thompson had a son. And one of his, he's five daughters, and one of those girls lives in the old cottage. It's winterized now, and and she lives there. But I don't know the family well, so... So back to your grandfather, because again, he's legendary in these parts, particularly if you're a certain age, because as you say, he was quite a well-known lumberman. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he was, um, as you say, responsible uh, for, the together with a couple of his pals uh, for the first skating rink, which is uh, located uh, sort of behind uh, St. Lawrence's Catholic Church in town. Uh, And then there was a second skating rink in which he was obviously involved, and that's the one down by the mill site at the bottom end of Dunn Street as it uh, 
heads towards the bottom end of Bay Street as it almost runs into uh, the bay. Um, so he was he was involved in sports. He was reeve of the municipality. He was uh, he was also responsible uh, for the first electricity that came yes. to many of the residences in Barry's Bay. Do you, do you remember how that came to be? No, I was told later on that my dad wired some of the the homes, and uh, I guess they had a generator at the mill. Our home was kind of like at the top of the hill, and uh, it was all land and um, to get down to the mill and then lumber yard. There was lumber piled up all over the place. I remember one winter, my sister Jean, she's a little over two years younger than I am, and we slid down the hill, and it was uh, the snow had a crust on it. Well, we sat at the bottom of the hill, and we didn't know how we were going to get back up. We could have walked out to the road and walked up, but there we were trying to get up on this slippery, crusty snow to get back up to the house. So we stayed down there until Mum started to look for us, and she found us down there. Well, looking at some old photographs of uh, the uh, Omanic or Barry's Bay Lumber Company back in the, the 1920s and 30s, the lumber piles were everywhere. I mean, yes. where the Royal Canadian Legion was built here some years ago, that all that area... Uh, from Stafford Street south, uh, southeasterly mm-hmm. uh, down to the lake seemed to be from the photographs, and, and some of that conforms with my memory. There were just lumber piles everywhere. Right. I think even over to where the arena is, the Akabuski Arena, like they had a lot of land, and there was lumber all over. And there were trains that came in yes. and out of there to uh, yes. take the lumber to the main line up at uh, the station and take it off to market. Yes, and I have pictures of uh, the lumber being piled on. Well, you can see the, the wheels, uh, the carriages, I guess, that they, they pile the lumber on, and the big square logs that uh, that uh, J.R. Booth had. Yeah, I, a lot of good stuff going on there. Well, your f- grandfather would have um, been involved in business transactions. I think the Barry's Bay Lumber Company, which was the Omanic yes. Lumber Company, um, cut lumber for itself, but also did some cutting for uh, the uh, the Booth mm-hmm. operation in Ottawa. Do mm-hmm. you ever remember your dad or your grandfather talking about the great Ottawa Valley lumber baron, J.R. Booth, who didn't uh, die until 1925, I think it was. So your dad would have been about 20, and your grandfather would have been... He was 30 years older than my dad. Yeah, so he would have been in his 50s. Uh, mm-hmm. Any memory of... Uh... No, I found all that out later on with pictures and whatnot. I don't remember it as a child because I was six when I left Barry's Bay. The family moved to Pembroke. We, um, My dad started a planing mill there, but he still had the sawmill. And it was the Barry's Bay Lumber Company, limited. That's what the paper, work, the paper I have or the you know, that you write on, the bills they're sent out on. and um, But everybody around here called it the Omernic Mill or the Omanic Mill. Right. That's exactly how yeah. I knew about it uh, yeah. when I was a youngster. Um, tell me, um, when I look at photographs of uh, of your grandfather, he's quite a dapper-looking fellow. You're right, he's somewhat diminutive in stature. He was not that tall, but he certainly, uh, the camera liked him. The photographs I've seen, he looks like, a young man with a story to tell. Mm-hmm. My dad was a good-looking guy, too. Yeah, your dad was. I certainly remember your father very well. But your grandfather's origins were 
really, in many ways, remarkable. From yes. what you know in family history and family lore, tell us what you know about your grandfather's journey from, um, you know, Northern Europe in the 1870s. I believe he was born in 1874. 74, correct. In what is today Poland, was then part of Germany. I uh, think they called it West, West Prussia. Prussia. Uh, and how he got from West Prussia in the 1870s uh, to Barry's Bay uh, via the stations in between, which, as I recall, were England and uh, New York State. Mm-hmm. He was born, like in West Prussia or Poland, and his dad was killed in the salt mines. And his mother married a Zablowski. Uh, I always call them Blaskies, but I think there's a Z in front of the name, Vincent. And they had one child over there, and then um, my grandfather was eight or nine, and uh, I don't know the name of the boat or what, but the ship, but um, they were billeted in England. Um, what part of England? Wherever the, where did the ship sail from? He and his cousin were billeted in one person's home, and his mom with Vincent, her husband, and I forget whether the baby was Martha or Mary, and Grandma August, great-grandma Augustina was pregnant at the time. So um, the my grandfather as a young boy was with Tony, and Tony's last name, I've got a couple of last names for him, so we won't use it, but Tony, I think, wanted a drink at a bar. Was Tony any kind of relative or just a friend? I think he was a cousin on somebody's side. So uh, he and Grandpa went off. And uh, so they missed the ship that great-grandma Augustina sailed on with Vincent, her child. Vincent, the husband, and the child. So um, there was arrangements made by the ship that left with Augustina and Vincent to look for John and Tony, and get them to Canada. And at this point, your grandfather is, what, eight, nine or ten years of age? Yes, somewhere around there. And um, Augustita, Vincent, and the little one born on the ship, plus the other young one, landed in Quebec, maybe Montreal, or was it Quebec City? Well, I don't know. More likely Quebec City, Halifax. Mm -hmm. Could have been Montreal, certainly those were Well, they're age. supposed to have landed in Quebec, Quebec. And my grandpa John and his cousin Tony landed in New York. And um, so that's how they got separated. But they came over with, you know, within reasonable time. And the stories I was told with grandpa on the ship, um, in those days it wasn't very pleasant sailing. You, The families brought their own food and they were kind of like, I don't know, down in the hole of the ship. I don't know where they had them. but Two orphans. Basically, yeah, but because he was a little guy and kind of a cute little guy, I guess the women fed him and um, looked after him. So he landed in New York, and um, I was told that um, farmers or people that needed laborers sometimes they went down to the docks to see if they could find anybody to bring them home and work on their farm or whatever they were doing. And there was a Mister Hewitt that was a dairy farmer that um, uh, Lewiston, I think, he lived in. Lewiston, New York, which is yes. right across from Niagara Falls, Ontario, so yes. in western New York, hundreds of miles from the docks in New York City. Right. 
Right. So, so this nine, ten-year-old boy was got really taken um, home with Mr. Hewitt because Mr. Hewitt had two or three children and around the same age. And uh, um, the one story is because he was on the ship so long that he had body lice, was dirty and whatnot, and Mrs. Hewitt didn't want him in the house, but uh, they looked after him, were good to him, and uh, of course at that time he would have spoken. Polish, no English. Um, but when Mr. Hewitt had him and he was looking after the dairy cows and doing whatever Mr. Hewitt wanted him to do, uh, he got sent to um, an indigenous school. In and, Western New York. Yes, and he learned that language. So. Did you ever hear him speak that indigenous language? Maybe once, but I didn't realize what, what it, was it was at the time because I was very young. Because one of my sisters says she remembers it, but I don't. Now, all this time, his, his mother is... Is somewhere in Canada. He knows not where. No. But he ultimately finds her. Do you have any idea how, at least through family history, you, you understand he did find her? Yes, because someone he knew, I don't know. I don't know the story, so I better not say. But someone told him his mother was in Renfrew County, in Barry's Bay. So he asked permission from Mr. Hewitt to... Uh, uh, come up and find his mother and Mr. Hewitt said well you'll have to earn your fare to get up there it's going to cost you money and one of the stories I heard was he came up found his mother but he had to go back and put in his time for Mr. Hewitt because he wasn't he was, Mr. Hewitt wasn't ready to let him go but uh, I have a sister that says that he earned saved money and he came up to Barry's Bay and found his mom well, his later, his later life suggests a born entrepreneur, uh, so uh, it wouldn't be surprising that he was able to, to make his way. It is interesting, however, that in later life when he was involved in a whole bunch of enterprises, that is your grandfather, John O'Mernick, lumber, tourism, uh, building skating rinks, uh, yes. real estate in, in Ottawa. He never really ever got into dairy farming once he left the human. No. No, I don't think he did. And, and um, yeah, because uh, I think he was in the lumber business when he was around 21. So he gets to Barry's Bay, and uh, let's take the story from there. He, he finds it. out he has quite a few siblings, but this time, I think four or five, all girls, I think. I think they're in the St. Hedwig's book, um, the names of them. Right. And um, the Blaskies. And I vaguely remember... Um, being told that I had aunts here later on uh, to visit, but um, they lived close to the house we used to live in. And uh, But I don't really know a whole lot about them because from Pembroke, we went to uh, London after that. So he clearly is a very precocious young fellow and he gets into the lumber business. Uh, tell us about then his first marriage. Uh, his first wife was? Elizabeth uh, Gatoski. Oh. And I don't know how he met her or where. I would have to ask one of my sisters. Uh, but he did marry Elizabeth Gatoski. And I don't think she was ever well. I think she was, you know, uh, uh, she was a quiet... Um, frail person. Frail person, yes. And what she died of, I'm not sure. But she's buried in St. Hedwig's Cemetery, and um, that's where Grandpa John is buried, too. He wasn't buried with his second wife. He asked to come to Barry's Bay when he knew his days were getting shorter, and uh, he stayed at the hospital then, and uh, 
because the hospital was built by then. And um, he stayed with, well, my dad, Joe, and his daughter, Mary Sobolski. And, um, of course, Mary was a widow by then because my Uncle Frank died in 54. So um, Aunt Mary was super good to um, uh, go down and help Grandpa because uh, Muriel died first, and she was quite a bit younger than Grandpa because when Grandpa married her, Oh, God, I did do the math. I don't know if he was 59 at the time or something. And um, so Muriel was of childbearing age, so because she had a son. And um, they stayed in Ottawa pretty well. My dad had built Grandpa John um, a beautiful cottage on the point. You could see the sawmill from there. This is on the Bonnershire River? Yes, but he Grandpa hardly ever came uh, because... Muriel liked to stay in um, Ottawa, and so did the son John, my uncle John. So, and we called her Aunt Muriel. It was Grandpa John and Aunt Muriel mm-hmm. because Aunt Muriel was so much younger, younger, and she didn't want to be called Grandma. So, but she was a nice lady. Like I said, on uh, Grandpa's birthday in August, we'd go and visit uh, either to his apartment. Uh, he owned apartment buildings on Kent and uh, McLaren, I think. So in the heart of Ottawa. Yes. So again, a pattern of real entrepreneurship. He mm-hmm. goes, he's out of lumber for the time being. His son, of course, is carrying on the family tradition there, but he's now in Ottawa, married to Muriel Thompson. Uh, we're talking about the Great Depression. Uh, he's now shifted uh, into property development, both in Ottawa and on the shores of uh, Lake Kamenisky because he's buying apartment buildings and in the process of building Thompson Lodge mm-hmm. uh, down near Cumbermere on, on Lake Kamenisky. Yes. So this, this pattern, I'm really fascinated by what just what a, a natural entrepreneur he was. And can we just go back to better establish his early years in Lombard? From what you heard your father tell you, it wasn't very long after your grandfather arrived in Barry's Bay having found his... Uh, his uh, mother, mm-hmm. and having paid his um, dues to the dairy farmer in western New York at Lewiston, Mr. Hewitt, he arrives in lumber country, the 18... And I'm assuming that's sometime, if he was born in 1874, what is the memory you have about how old he was when he came to settle in Barry's Bay? His late teens or, say, 20, 21? I would say his late teens, maybe. Close so, to 20, yeah. So that would make it... 1894, within a decade, you know, he's involved uh, with um, the lumber business and yes. uh, forms a partnership with Murray and O'Manic yes. for a number of years. Yes. Um, and then, of course, that partnership dissolves and mm-hmm. he forms basically what we all knew as the O'Manic Lumber Company, but but correctly, it was known as the Barry's Bay Lumber Company. Yes. Um, I, I'm, my One of my proud possessions is I have um, a letterhead uh, well, their letter with Murray and Omanic on it, and um, uh, it—I think it's a pay a payroll thing because, uh, and it's very little, <laughs> three dollars and something. I think I don't know what the period is. You know how long that was for, but I do have that. Yes. So when he first got involved, it was Murray and Omanic. And what do you remember your father, who was well known as a very well known lumberman? based in Pembroke, uh, to which you moved when you were six, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, What kind of stories did you hear about your grandfather from your father? 
Well, when Grandpa got out of the business, um, he was bought out by Mary and Frank and uh, uh, my dad. And my dad had two partners in Toronto, um, Laurie Stark and Robert Holland, Bob Holland. And they pretty well stayed in Toronto, and I guess they sold. They were in retail. They sold the lumber. And uh, my dad was in the bush. He was there when they went in in the winter to cut the trees and uh, and skid the logs without any machinery. The horses did all the work. I have movies of that. Beautiful animals doing all the And the skids of logs were so high, you'd wonder how the uh, horses could do that. And the men. Gosh, the men were little then. They weren't big, big, tall, husky guys like you see today. These little Polish guys with their cant hooks. And, um, yeah. And um, and the Omanic Lumber Company that you remember very well as a as a teenager and later an adult, your father, the business that your father was running, was essentially uh, in uh, the Bonnershire area and then with some limits up in Algonquin Park. Yes, uh, so um, I've heard you and my father, who worked for that company, uh, talking with great fondness of those years back uh, in the late 30s and through the early mid-years of the war about just what kind of um, mill and operation, for example, was was to be seen there uh, at at Round Lake, mm-hmm. uh, not at Round Lake, at, uh, at uh, the Bonnishare, and it was actually... Uh, an expansion in the Bonnershire River. What was what was the expansion? It had a name, Lake Cushing, or Cushane or something. And that's where um, the mill was located. Yes, and I believe the it was. Cottage. There was a cottage, an Amanic cottage, about not... two and a half miles at that time from the sawmill itself. And um, because when we went out for the summer, which I loved, but some of my family wasn't happy to be cloistered in in the bush. And uh, but I love being out. I was a tomboy. I love being outside. And uh, when the men were working in the mill, we were allowed to go to the cookhouse. And Paul Coolis, who uh, we have Father Mervyn Coolis, that was his dad, dad. was the cook, a at, great cook. As yes, I recall. yes. And uh, we were allowed to go to the cookhouse, and we could get uh, meat and um, pies. Um, Pickles, but we had to get a new jar of pickles, like they were huge jars. But if we took our pickles for the cottage, we had to open a new jar because my dad said the men at these long, long tables when they ate in in the um, when they ate their meals, they just stabbed their fork into the pickle jar. So dad wanted a, a new jar, and um, the elegant young women couldn't be doing that. <laughs> No, but, uh, oh, those were great days, and Paul made homemade bread, and sometimes my sister Jean, who's two years younger, we'd go there, and um, we'd have uh, cucumber sandwiches, just take two slices of Paul's homemade bread, butter it, put the cucumbers on, salt and pepper, and sometimes we had onion sandwiches, but the meat came by train into Barry's Bay, and if a lumber truck went out with a load of lumber to put on the train, uh, I don't know who the drivers were at the time. I think it was a Conway. Uh, he'd come back because a lot the Conways are good looking, and uh, uh, this truck driver would he was the designated driver that met the train, and he brought back halves of beef, which leads me to the story of 
the sawmill had its own pigs. And all the scraps from the table that the men left, uh, he had a wheelbarrow. And he'd come and get the, the scraps, the food scraps from the cookhouse. And he'd take them down the road and up towards the sawmill because the pig pen was up there. And they'd feed the pigs and then they'd butcher the pigs and the men had pork. And um, the other, another thing I remember is the horses in the summer. These horses that worked so hard in the winter were turned loose in the bush. And sometimes our cottage was two and a half miles from the sawmill. Sometimes we'd look out and there were the horses munching on grass, weeds, whatever they could find. And every once in a while, my dad and I got in his car and we'd go and look and see where the horses were. And if dad thought they should be somewhere else, sometimes he drove his car right into the bush. And in those days, the bushes weren't as dense. Uh, the forest wasn't as dense. Because uh, my dad, well, he had a car that only worked for him, too. None of us could drive it or make it go, but uh, his company car or his mill car, um, he would go look for the horses and chase them to where they should be or someplace. But those horses were out on their own all summer. Is there Was there never any worry on his part, your father's part, that these horses would just go galloping, gallivanting down one of the bush roads and disappear into the mist? No, because they pretty well stayed, I think, on the trails. Because I don't know if you could call them roads in those days. They You could travel on them in the winter because they'd have snow and ice and they'd pack them down. But in the summer, they were pretty poor roads. Uh, but um, the horses... And I think some food was put out uh, at the different winter camps because uh, they had camps that were only used in the winter. And that's when the men were in an area cutting logs. So again, the cycle would be these men who worked at the sawmill in the summertime, many, though perhaps not all, would simply decamp into Algonquin Park or wherever else to cut the logs to be sawn in the summer. Is that yes. correct? Yes, yeah. And uh, another story with the men, uh, my dad had a, it was a homemade truck. They built kind of like a little house or a shed on the back of the truck and both sides and the the uh, what would be the back of the cab were benches and it would come out from Barry's Bay Monday morning and go back I imagine Friday night now for our for the men that lived here for our listeners who are not familiar with this geography how far in time and or miles would um, the Omanic Mill at uh, the Vonnesher be from, say, the train station in Barry's Bay, about a half an hour's drive, maybe 20... 16 miles comes into my head. Yeah, that sounds... I think that that's what right. we were told. We'd grow Pog Lake Road from Barry's Bay yes. and keep going until we hit the mill. He could go out a different way, but but that was the way. And some of the men stayed um, at the uh, camp, at the bunkhouse, and, you know, ate in the, in the cook camp, uh, on the weekend, and the story was that the food was so good at the Omanic camp, better than Booth, <laughs> and, um, uh, but Booth wasn't around then when I was around, um, like as a teenager, and um, that was one story, but then uh, your dad, Francis Conway, told me that um, the men stayed there because that would leave more food for the wife and kids at home if he didn't go home for the weekend. Now, the, so you're describing a, quite a self-contained 
community. You could, if circumstances required it, or you just preferred it that way, you could, while the mill was running, which would be May till September, typically, Mm -hmm. mid-May till end of September, you could more or less live there. Oh, yes. How how many men, how many people, as you recall, uh, roughly speaking, would have been uh, in and around that mill uh, when everything was operational? Would it have been... It was over 100. I don't think it was 200. Um, I remember being told it was over 100. I think there were less in the winter at the camps uh, because not all the men probably wanted that cold, cold work. And it was because they didn't have the modern uh, materials that we have today to keep the cold out. They probably had wool, but as you know, coal can travel right through wool. If you go to Algonquin Park, to the Loggers Museum, the first part of it, before any machinery shows up, that's what my dad's outfit looked like. Everything was done by hand. It was, um, when they sawed down a tree, there was man one end of the saw and man at the other end of the saw. And um, no power uh, tools at all. And like I said, the horses did all the work. The men and the horses. I've seen photographs of a young animatic, young by means of which I'm going to suggest a young teenager, uh, at the mill site, uh, at the Bonnachair, uh, looking just joyful in uh, in a world that is populated by men. I mean, yeah. there are photographs of you um, that just But show... I thought of all of them as kind of old men. Well, I, I never, there was never a romantic thing there. Um, no, I didn't I mean loved, it... I, I was at a tomboy. I loved the mill. And if relatives came from Ottawa, out west, wherever, or if friends dropped in, or... Let's get back to the clergy. Well, some of the photographs was... I'm talking about are ones that have some pretty prominent clergy. I yes. think there's a few of Bishop Smith yes. there with your dad. Um, yes. So uh, what was it you think, looking back now, 60 years, 60, 70 years, what was it you think that explained the appeal that that environment had for a young girl that clearly wasn't shared by all of your sisters? I just love the sawmill. It was my dad's sawmill, and it just... Uh, you, I went down to the jack ladder and the, I forget the gentleman's name there, short little Polish guy, a real sweetheart. He would haul the logs up with his pike pole, put them on the, the track that came up into the mill. And then you walked up into the mill and uh, there was this carriage that the log went on and the Sawyer, I think he called him the Sawyer, he was kind of sitting down in a hole there, and and uh, he'd flip the log, and they'd cut the bark off, and then they'd decide, I guess, what size he was going to cut the boards. And then when the boards were cut, they went off down to the uh, sorting tables, and the guys had some kind of hooks there, and they they knew what to grab and put on a certain pile. And then somebody said, well, how did they get all that lumber out to the lumberyard? Well, they made a nice big pile, and we had um, uh, a lift, believe it or not. And the lift would pick up a whole pile of lumber and go down the road to the to the lumber yard and deposit it down there. Stack it in those high piles. Yes. Are... Now, there was no electricity. There were no um, electricity lines around. There was a Delco, presumably, but there was mm-hmm. no connection to 
Ontario Hydro lines were there at that location? No, not that I can remember. So your the mill and the cottage, for example, would have been. Was there any electricity uh, supplied no, to the cottage? No, we had a we had a what did we call it? We we didn't call them generators. We had a. A, a pump house. We called it a pump house. There was this little house built and that's machinery in there. Gave us our electricity. Was it a small Delco? Probably. Now, I knew your father in later life and, and I remember Joe Manick Sr. as a very quiet, thoughtful fellow that in some ways was unlike a lot of the other lumbermen, you know, around who could be so pretty... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, swashbuckling and not always uh, right. pretty rambunctious. Your dad, just I remember him as a very gentle, uh, was, soft-spoken yeah. fellow. I never saw temper from my dad. And he sounds like he was very technical. He understood how the mechanics of the, the mill operated. Uh, mm-hmm. Because according to your earlier testimony, uh, Madam Witness, the your father and grandfather were able to supply electricity and then wire houses houses to receive it in Barry's right. Bay way back before the First and World w- War. And wouldn't you love to know what houses got the got the wired first? Well, yes, that your father was your grandfather was running for public office. He was reeved during the 1915, 16, yeah. 17 period. Yeah. So that would be quite a campaign offering. Listen, vote for me and mm-hmm. I, I might move you up on the list of getting electricity. Now, I'm sure your grandfather would never think that way. But back to your dad, though. He uh, helps understand what seemed to draw him to that business because it was not an easy business. The The markets were up and down. The uh, There was a million things that could go wrong. I don't seemed. know. Not because his dad was in the lumber business and he was brought up, I mean, in living it. in Barry's Bay, how many people would have been in Barry's Bay back in those days? And uh, he and his sister Mary. I mean, I was told Aunt Mary was out on those um, alligators. You know, the um, the boats yes, that yes. would... Uh, Corral the logs out yes, of the water. Yes, the, the booms of logs. logs. And, and uh, yeah, Aunt Mary, anything I think her brother Joe did, I think she pretty well did. Well, I knew... The little bit of a thing that I she know, was. I knew your Aunt Mary, and she was a very lively, spirited, mm-hmm. but diminutive young person. Yeah. So that must have been She quite... showed her spirit. Yes. My dad was quiet, but... Mary was... Um, More of a firecracker? Yes, at times she was. And I was so proud she was my god- godmother. That's that's not surprising at all. Um, speaking about your parents, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about your mother. So your mother grew up in a family where there had been business, those hotels that mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, although she had connections to Western she, Canada. She was very young when they went west. west. Very young. Um, Describe your mother. What was your mother, Viola Slominski, like? Beautiful, hardworking. She was what I'd say is uh, any man would love as a wife. My dad would shoot partridge and bring it home. Mother would take it out back and clean it. My dad would bring home fish. My mother cleaned them and cooked them. And uh, she wasn't afraid of work. Both your parents were very religious and were very active in the uh, Catholic uh, Church here in the diocese of of uh, Pembroke that must have been uh, fairly um fairly challenging for uh, their children who were growing up within uh, in Pembroke well, within the shadow of the cathedral uh, the bishop wasn't very far away and i'm sure no, the dinner but, table you were told that you know your behavior would yes. be expected yeah. to meet a well high monsignor stand. owns and i had uh, we didn't have run-ins but i thought he was a little bit too meddling if mom and dad went away he'd be there checking up on us 
but um, I got a license at 15 just to drive the nuns around because we had precious blood nuns in uh, Pembroke. In Pembroke. And um, I remember when Dad got them a, a washing machine and something went wrong. They weren't running it properly. So my dad showed me what he thought I had to go in and do because being a girl, I was allowed in. And I was going to be a precious blood nun for the a long time. I never thought of marriage. And those were cloistered nuns. Yes. You don't strike me as a person destined for well, any not kind now. of religious not today. cloister. <laughs> yeah, uh, Father Sylvester Schulist said to me, uh, oh, give myself time to get a bit older, because my mother would have been happy to have us six girls, all nuns, and my brother a priest, because her brother, uh, you know, he didn't, he died early. But uh, mom and dad just were in there with the, the priests and the nuns all the time. And uh, with our cottages, and uh, the priests felt... Um, uh, open to come out there and my dad took them hunting in the fall and uh, you know out in the boat and whatnot and uh, if the priests had somebody that uh, um, they wanted to give them a tour or show them something they brought them out to the sawmill and uh, of course Paul Coolis fed them well and uh, it uh, yeah and I got it I don't know if I should say this about Bishop uh, uh, William Smith he was a sweetheart and he came and stayed at what the grandpa's my grandpa John's cottage, which you could see from the sawmill, um, and I don't know who was with him, but Bishop Smith had that pinky rose-colored bathing suit, just like the bishop's hat, the the little beanie they wore, and <laughs> I was so happy he had a pink bathing suit, but he didn't have his ring on when he went in the water, wow. and we always knew Bishop Smith to have this big ring that you were supposed to genuflect and kiss, you know, when you were in church. But no, Bishop Smith was, he was a very lovable man. And, and he had grown up, I, I think, in the dairy farming country of uh, Glengarry County down near Alexandria. So there was, yes. he would not have had much exposure there, I think, growing up to uh, the lumber economy that was everywhere around much of the diocese. Of I Canada. wonder if that's why my sister and I were sent, my oldest sister and I, were sent to a boarding school. Iona Academy? yes. I don't. Iona that. Academy, because of Bishop Smith. Oh, that's uh, that was that's a very likely possibility. Yes, and and those nuns, those nuns, I forget what kind of nuns. They were fun. We went on sleigh rides in the in the winter, and this one nun, we had all the the uh, boarders piled on there, and this nun, and she fell off, and no one missed her. <laughs> And finally, when somebody did, we, it's dark, you know, so we had to go back and find her. But she was there in the snowbank. She was happy, not upset or anything. She knew we miss, we'd miss her and come back. And uh, no, those were quite the days. So you're describing a pretty interesting life. You grow up, you're born in this lumber village in the late 1930s. You've, uh, uh, you're born into a prominent family um yeah but we didn't know that at the no, time no, no i know but but you know you were and then um you and i should say not just on the omanic side but certainly the slominski side because mm -hmm. uh, you would have been known to many people as uh, the uh, highly esteemed father slominski's niece um and then off to pembroke you go when you're six um, that beautiful house that uh, is yes. still known as the Omanic House on Mary Street in Pembroke. 
Were you raised in that house? From 6 to 18. and But across the way, it wasn't very nice. I think it's the Muscat River? Yes. And it took an elbow there, and he didn't dare go down there. There was a ratty old fence, and, and uh, I remember the buses from um, Chalk River or Deep River came by because he used to flick our black and white TV when they when they went by. And now the area is so beautiful there. It's a nice park. Yes. I would love to go knock on the door at 275 Mary, and who I don't know if the Moseons still, if any of the family still have it, and see the bedrooms and see if, you know, it's what I remember. Well, to look at that house and think about when it was built in the 1950s, it makes a statement that important, prominent people live here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly it's a very good advertisement for what lumber can do to make a house look really stately and attractive. Actually, Sean, it would have been built in the 40s. In I the was f- born in 38, 38 and 6 is 44. 44. So that would have been built all right. Yes. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, growing up as a, as a, a nomadic um, in, uh, in Pembroke during your, uh, your teenage years. I mean, it well, sounds like you were... I, I was sent out to boarding school here in Cumbermere. Oh, you were? Oh, yes. The nuns out here in the old school. There was 14 of us only. I didn't really was like it. Was this a group of Irish nuns that yes. ran that school down Yes. Yes, all Yeah, right. there was Mother Mary and Mother Bridget. And the Reverend Mother, uh, she had family here. Oh, my gosh, what's the name? You go through Palmer Rapids and... Latchford Bridge? Uh, uh, no, I don't think you go as far as... La- they had a, a place up there. Maybe I'll think of the name. Some. She was a nice lady. Mother Mary was a piano teacher. She was nice, smiling all the time. A previous guest on this uh, podcast was also a student uh, at that school some years later, Julie Fisher, whose parents were later, uh, that is later after your grandfather sold Thompson Lodge Mm -hmm. and became Chippewa Lodge. Julie Fisher has some wonderful memories about that school. Was it it called St. Mary's? Yes. So... Mm -hmm. Why do you think your parents sent you to Cumbermere? Were they... uh... Well, I think when my youngest sister was born, there was complications before she was born, and uh, um, I guess it was just to give mother some peace and quiet, you know? So, because three of us went there. Well, my sister Amy, who was known as Mary then, uh, she lived in Madonna House for a while, and... I don't remember the year, whether it was 1950, something was going on in Rome, and the Baroness wanted to go to Rome, and when she talked to Bishop Smith, Bishop Smith said, well, I don't have any money to give you, go and ask Joe Omanic, and my dad said, well, if you take my 16-year-old daughter with you, you know, I'll pay your fare over, but my sister, who's now called Amy, she doesn't talk about it, so, but I think it's in some of the books that people have written from Madonna House, so that story um, gives a good indication of the kind of relationship your parents had with the, uh, with the Roman Catholic diocese. Of oh Catholic, yeah, uh, oh yeah. And I repeat, the physical geography of your house on Mary Street and the Bishop's house—they mm-hmm. uh, were separated by about a ninety-second sprint for well, somebody like you when you were a teenager. I don't know if it'd be ninety seconds, but it wouldn't be much more. I don't think so. You're right. 
Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, too, one of the guests in that 275 Mary Street in Pembroke were the Von Trapps. Well, tell us more. Many, many moons ago, when a lot of them were teenagers, um, and they um, went to community theaters or community concerts because they had to earn a living. They traveled around by bus. And when they came to Pembroke to perform, uh, my mother didn't think they should eat at the hotel or whatnot. So the hotel catered to our house because we had a this bigger house. And I have movies of that, of some of the Von Trapp kids when they were younger coming down our staircase. Very, very brief show, but I have it. So, And then the next day, my mother, she was a go-getter. She took my sister Jean, who's two years younger than myself, and we went on the Von Trapp's bus to Ottawa. So we were quite pleased. What memories? Did they give a little concert to oh, yes. your parents in the house? No. They sang at, I don't know if it was called the Collegiate The Collegiate then. Auditorium. Uh, yes. The Pember Collegiate Auditorium. Yeah. To a packed house, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. What do you remember about the, um, the Von Trapp Well, there was kids? a young boy. Oh, so we're now... Uh, he was 12 at the time. And you are how old at the time? I probably around that age too. Oh yes. Well, now this is starting to make sense. Yes, yes. So we were pretty happy, Jean and I. That although I told you this little while ago that I wasn't interested in boys, but I mean, this we knew it was a famous family. Just like the uh, who's the Irish family in uh, Lakeside, uh, Lakefield, Peterborough. The, the Leahys. Yes. Uh, years ago, I came to Winterfest or whatever it was called here. I think it was 1988. Timberfest. Timberfest. And um, they performed a concert here. Um, like, these families are amazing. The snowstorm, I don't think the mum got here and somebody else. So one of the kids filled in on the piano. And when mum or whoever came to play the piano, they just slid in and slid over and uh, gave a wonderful, wonderful concert. So I went and got all their autographs that I could afterwards because I said, someday you're going to be famous. You know, the mother of those, all those very talented, musically and otherwise talented ladies. Went to Cumbermere? Well, no, she worked. She came from Atlantic Canada. She was Julie McDonnell. Sometime around the late 1950s, early 1960s, she came to Barry's Bay. I think she was related to Dougal McIsaac. Uh, but at any rate, she worked, uh, I think, for a while at Yakabuski Hardware. And she was, um, shall we say, um, she made a very, very positive impression uh, upon a lot of uh, single young men uh, oh, okay. at the time. And uh, she was very talented. She could sing yes. and she could dance. I remember the concerts the family. here. So they came by it very naturally because the mother, Julie McDonnell Leahy, was, um, was quite, made a very big impression here mm -hmm. back 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, back to uh, to your family. Your father um, decides when to leave the lumber business. Was that in the 1950s? 56, he sold the sawmill. And uh, we were sitting, uh, our evening meal was always in the dining room of our Pembroke house. And uh, uh, mother said, well, we all stay after supper because dad had an announcement. Well, when he told us he sold the sawmill, Jean and I just cried. We were so upset. And yet Jean didn't seem thrilled staying out at the cottage, but we were so upset. I was when my dad sold the sawmill. Because that was so much of his identity to you yes. as his children. Mm -hmm. And we had the cottage there, and 
um, mothers, because mom came from the big family, not dad, and a lot of her relatives from out west or wherever, they would come and stay a week or two. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'd get our food from Paul Colas at the... Fabulous at, cook. Yes. So, you know, we did cook some stuff. Uh, I had an old... Jean, my younger sister, and Amy, my older sister, liked to bake and make pies and that. Not me. I'd take them out in the boat, take them fishing, you know. I ran the boats, the motors, and did stuff like that. But, um, uh, no, we were upset when Dad saw... Your dad the, would have been in his early 50s when he made that announcement in 1956. I'm not good with... I'm not a mathematician, but... So did he say We that? moved to London shortly after that. Oh, the family... Yeah, dad. because Dad had... Two of his girls were at Western, yeah. and I was in teacher's college. So he thought, well... I'm retired, I'm not doing anything, I'll move with the family. But he didn't like it because for his sinuses, he found uh, London damp. Uh, He was only there a couple of years, maybe a little over two years. Two of us got married and my youngest sister, Jean, engaged. So that was it. He moved back Back to Pembroke Pembroke. and had a house built right across from Our Lady of Lourdes. Church. Uh, Did your father indicate that sad night when... As your mother said, you're all do at the table or at the family meeting room for the news. He, he was happy. Did he Did he say why he was happy and why he was glad to be leaving the business that he and his father had been engaged in very soon? No, I think he just thought he had a good buyer, and that meant the cottage went, too. Well, exactly. So what and did you do about cottages after that? Built on Ohio Road. That's cor- so tell us a little bit about well, Ohio Well, when Road. we knew we were moving... Uh, Dad had the cottage built on Ohio Road. Uh, For the listening audience here, we're talking about Ohio Road in what was Radcliffe Township, which is Cumbermere, essentially, property on the on the is it on the lake or the river? It's on the river. On the Madawaska River, Mm -hmm. looking over in the direction of Thompson Chippewa Lodge. Yes, at the end of Ohio Road Road. where we were. Right. uh, Which we used to be the end, but we aren't anymore. Uh, because the, the sweet property took after uh, after that. So your father and mother built a cottage uh, just outside of Cumbermere when in the late 1950s? In 56, I think. Or was it 54? And that's uh, been a big part of your life. 56. That's been a big part of your life ever since. Yes, because I was 18 and uh, Ed Marquette was uh, the head builder, I guess you'd call him. And he had, um, I can't, I have the name written down someplace. It was a father and son. They were indigenous from uh, Golden Lake. And the mother came in a homemade uh, trailer and camped out uh, out front. And she fished and made baked beans and whatnot. And uh, yeah, uh, and my dad supplied the lumber. And it's all cull lumber, which is lumber you don't normally sell. My dad wanted to prove to his two partners that you could build a really sturdy cottage. So 65 years later, it is. You try to put a nail in the wall to put up a picture, and you're going to have problems. But um, it's it's a big place. It was built for seven kids and the parents. And um, and then Ed Marquette, you're not supposed to speak Ill, Ill of the dead, but he got a better job or another job, so he kind of took off. So Lorne, his son, who was my age... He and my dad did the finishing, trimming, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, my dad always said, don't get attached to material things. But this past weekend, when the windstorm came and a tree fell on the roof of the cottage, I wasn't happy. Let's um, let's go back to the beginning of this conversation, which I will 
remind people was the, the day of your birth, which occurs in um, March 1938 at the very other end of Lake Kamenisgig for all intents and purposes uh, yes. in Barry's Bay. Um, if you were to come back to this place today and you didn't know anything about the Omanic, Omernic name and presence in Barry's Bay, one of the things that would, if you spend any time here, one of the most beautiful aspects of the community today is uh, the Omanic, Omernic Waterfront Park which can be found uh, right alongside um, the upper end of the bay, right down by the municipal um, wharf. Uh, tell us about how that waterfront park, which in many ways is probably the most visible r representation that this family, the Omanics, were here once upon a time and had a lot to do with the growth and development of what we know today as as, as Barry's Bay and, mm -hmm. and well, area. Today, I'm very proud of it. But um, Describe what it is, where it is, and how it came to be. Well, see, Grandpa's Mill and then my dad. Uh, it's was, where the sawmill was, right down uh, at uh, the lake there. Right behind St. Hedwig's Church, actually. Yes, yeah. And um, uh, it was your dad that uh, we got talking, and, and then... Is it your cousin that was the mayor at the time? Phil Conway? No. Um, no, Phil wasn't mayor. Um, oh, I don't know. See, I'm 83. That's why I don't remember names. At any rate, there was some community interest in doing something to yes. commemorate the Omanic name. Well, your dad kind of told the mayor at the time that that um, there should be something for the Omanics around here. So um, I had a Craig Kelly call me, and uh, I wasn't real interested at the time because... I didn't like the name was being spelt wrong because Aunt Muriel, who was really Grandma Muriel, she changed the name to O apostrophe capital M, which upset my dad. So, Well, that's a good point because there is some confusion. I remember myself seeing that name spelt and, and pronounced Omanic, uh, sometimes with O-M-A-N-I-Q-U-E, sometimes... Uh, o apostrophe M-A-N-I-Q-U-E and more often than not when I was growing up here it was Omernic O-M-E-R-N-I-U-K so just say that again the, 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 in, in, in the family that you grew up in when the family name was was mentioned how was it pronounced and how was it spelt? Well uh, I was always raised as O-M-A-N-I-Q-U-E Omanic uh, uh, yeah, I was told that when Grandpa landed in uh, with Mr. Hewitt, or when he gave his name, um, they thought it was Normandy, and I I don't know somebody put the Q U E on it, but um, and then but his Polish name was Omernik, which when he came to Barry's Bay and because of his mum, they would have known that he was born uh, John Omernik, and um, but we use the O M A N I Q U E, and. Um, um, when Grandpa John married Muriel Thompson, I was told she got a lot of phone calls from the French in Ottawa because of the QUE. So she thought if she put the O apostrophe capital M, that would tell them that they weren't French. So she was the one who changed the name. All right, that, that's helpful. And of course, her son John went by that, but not us. This is Professor John. Yes, Professor he, John. He went by the O apostrophe? Yes. All oh, right. 
Yes. He who uh, professed uh, at Carleton University at St. Pat's College for many years, correct? I don't know a whole lot about him, just what I'm told, because Uncle John didn't like coming to the cottage that Dad built for his dad. And um, he's pretty well stayed in Ottawa. And uh, uh, Uncle John didn't have much to do with my dad. He just went his own way. Or Mary. He so, went his... so we're back on a summer evening, and I'm walking uh, westerly on what is now uh, Bay Street. I go down the hill, and there I see that beautiful sign telling me, welcoming me to the Omanic Waterfront Park. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was some community interest in... Uh, memorializing your your grandfather and and your the Omanic family for all they did in Barry's Bay and that's not just lumber but it's bringing electricity building not one but two community rinks before the the closed in rink was built here in the late 1940s um building a very very stylish upscale tourist resort called Thompson Lodge later Chippewa Lodge um, so how then did the waterfront park, it comes many decades later, it's beautiful and it's highly subscribed and very much used in uh, fall, summer and, and winter, uh, fall, spring and summer particularly. So uh, the, did the, you go to the municipality and engage their support? No, no. Uh, the only time I went to the municipality, and I don't remember if it came before or after the, uh, the waterfront uh, parkway or walkway, uh, I wanted Ohio Road to change to Omanic Road because my grandfather owned so much of it. And then Aunt Mary ended up with some of the stuff at the beginning and my dad, the end, and then he sold to um, old Henry. I call him old because he was the father, Henry Chapesky. And uh, then when we bought back um, the five and a half acres in the 50s, my dad said he paid more for that than he did sold the whole kit and caboose. Because no one wanted waterfront property back then. But to get back to your other question, I got involved with Dave Kelly in in, uh, Cumbermere with the museum. And I don't know how come. But uh, Dave and I talked a lot. And we uh, a lot of it was with the Slominski side, my mom's side. But then the next thing I knew, a Craig Kelly called me. And at the time, I didn't realize it was Dave's son. And... He got me on a day that I don't know what I was doing, but he said they wanted to name uh, a walkway along the waterway after my grandfather. And I said, okay, but please spell it right. I didn't want the O apostrophe M because my dad would get out of his grave, I'm sure. And I was a big supporter of my dad. So, and the next thing I knew, uh, there we had that beautiful walkway. And no matter what time of year, no matter what time of day, because when I come in from Cumbermere, I swing down there because I remember the old highway. And um, I go along there to go up to the graveyard because my parents are there, my grandparents are on both sides, aunts and uncles. And right now my husband's there. I have a brother and a sister there. And um, so uh, I think the walkway is great. That final destination that now uh, is home to so many of your immediate family, suggests that the, the Omanic family, of which you're so obvious a part, really feels very attached to, to Barry's Bay. So a last question. Imagine that your father and your grandfather could come back for an afternoon, nice summer afternoon, and sit on one of those nice benches looking down the full length of Barry's Bay as the sun sets behind them. What do you think they would want people to know 
about the Omanic legacy that they weren't around to see, but would nonetheless, that is your father and your grandfather, want them to, to know for history's sake? I don't know about Grandpa John. I knew him and I didn't know him. Um, but uh, my dad was uh, a private man, believe it or not. My dad wouldn't want any fuss made. He probably wouldn't have even want a walkway named uh, the Omanic Walk. Unless, oh, for, for his dad, yes, but not for him. My dad was a very humble, private man. Uh, but I don't know. i got to tell you a little story about Grandpa John, though. Um, it was suggested that maybe he was getting a little bit dementia or senile when he's got older. But when my oldest was born, she was six weeks old, and we came to the cottage. And she was born August the 10th. And in September, we were up at the cottage with my mom and dad, and we went to Ottawa for the day. And when I walked into my grandpa's office, because he had this little den or office that he was always sitting in, and he said to me, is this the little girl born on my birthday? Because <laughs> Laura was born August the 10th. So that, was, that, was her, that would be her great-grandfather's yes. birthday. Yep. So and Grandpa John knew who I was, and he knew who my daughter was. was. So then the last word to you. Um, what would you want? the world around here of 2021 and beyond to know and recall or think about when the name O'Mernick is mentioned? Well, that um, uh, they were good to um, the community. They, um, because they did supply work during the war years. Oh, the only thing I remember during the war years was when it was over. We played with the coupons, I guess, for sugar or whatever they were. Uh, we had stores, and, you know, you could buy stuff for so many coupons. We made our own stores. But, no, my dad, like I said, he was a private man. But I would want them to know that my grandfather and father did so much for Barry's Bay and the people here. And, the, and I love it. I'm going to be buried here. Well, that's a very positive note to end a fascinating conversation so to Anne Omanic Bruder, thank you very, very much and a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Well, same to you, Sean. Thank you very much. And I got to tell you, I loved your dad. Well, he had the fondest memory of both your... Uh, we had your... some super, super times together. Well, I gathered so from some of those pictures you've shown and you're yeah. a, very, a very vibrant youngster, uh, very actively engaged and apparently liking what is generally what was generally a man's world. Uh, yeah. Well, I love the sawmill so much, and your dad just told me so many stories and brought brought it all back, and it was great. Well, again. The man who could quit smoking for Lent, but then start again. <laughs> well, that's another story for another day. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. That was Anne omanic Bruder in conversation with Sean Conway, host of The Local. We hope you enjoyed today's show and certainly want to remind you to take advantage of that waterfront park named after John O'Manick and his family that you just heard about. It's not just to be enjoyed in the so-called good summer weather. If you walk or drive down along Lakeshore Drive in Barry's Bay any day, in the winter, summer, spring, or fall, you will be sure to see why O'Manick Park remains a unique place for all seasons. I'm Kristen Marchand, and for Sean Conway and our producer Barry Conway, We'd like to say a special thank you to Anne omanic Bruder for graciously sharing her wonderful family history with us today. Happy New Year to you one and all, and to all a good day, and God bless. 